Welcome to Dare to be Seen. Join our host, Alyssa DiNapoli, a.k.a. Alyssa Vulpez, author, artist coach, and singer-songwriter, as she engages in down-to-earth, insightful, and inspiring conversations with female indie singer-songwriters, composers, and musicians. We shall discuss the lessons and personal stories of women who dare to be seen. Scratching beneath the surface to explore challenging truths, for deeper connections, and foster personal transformation. Get inspired, and if you enjoy the show, spread the word by subscribing and reviewing it. And now, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Dare to be Seen. I'm your host, Elisa Di Napoli, a.k.a. Elisa Vulpes, and today's episode features Shaina Evonuk. Shaina is a violinist, a composer, a band leader, and an arranger who has been dazzling audiences for over a decade. Recent recording credits include Leon Bridges' 2019 Grammy-winning song Bet Ain't Worth the Hand, Lizzo's 2020 Grammy-winning album Cause I Love You, and Alphabet Rocker's 2020 Grammy-nominated album The Love. In 2018, she released her debut solo album Hit Woman Honey to critical acclaim and her primary project, Cosa Nostra Strings, recently released a collaborative EP with soul singer Lil Kane and a full-length self-titled album of original works. Now, before we meet our guest for today, I would like to invite you to go to tinyurl.com slash pod discount. That's tinyurl.com slash pod discount, where you will be able to get 30% off my online course, There to be Seen, where you'll discover how to magnify your presence and command the stage in 10 easy steps so you can perform at your best in front of a larger audience. So that's tinyurl.com slash pod discount. And now here's a guest for today. like two different ways to live right you can have one focus and devote all of your energy and time to that one thing and I wish I could do that I wish I was the kind of person that could do that but I have too many damn interests kind of feel as a musician that music is the whole world, um, but there's a missing element. And when music is paired with dance or 
aerial dance or some sort of physical representation that those two in union together like complete the universe, that like that is just a full expression um, and a full art form. like I had to make this decision between violin and gymnastics just because I simply didn't have time for both. So I chose violin. And then when that same thing happened with dance or soccer or all the other things that I did, I would always choose violin. always at different junctures throughout my life return to those art forms in these different ways. Like I said, I, I wish I just had one great love, but I have multiple. And so dividing my time and, and giving each of them the time that I think they deserve has really been a challenge for me. I always feel like I'm lacking in some area like not doing the best I can because I'm trying to focus on too many things. In the last couple of years, I've tried to really pare that down and really hone in and focus on the things that are most important, knowing that, well, maybe there will be another season of my life or another time that I can kind of come back to some of the other things. Let's welcome to the show today, Shana Evanek, all the way from California. Welcome, Shana. Hi, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, on the show today. There's so many things I want to ask you. I'm very impressed with all the things you're able to do. But before we get into that, I like to tell the listeners something a little bit different about our guests. And, and one of the things that you told me you do that maybe not many people know about is that you are a beekeeper. Yeah, I am. 
So, how do you find the time to be a beekeeper and <laughs> an aerial violinist, a yoga teacher, and and a band leader of so many bands? Uh, good question. <laughs> the bees don't take a ton of time. That's the good news. You know, as a beekeeper, you basically just help nature do its thing. It already, I mean, bee, bees have been surviving for millennia without humans' help. So now that humans have sort of made life a lot harder for bees, I wanted to do my part to help them make it a little bit easier. Um, so I, I do, I have a beehive in my backyard and I just love them. I love hanging out with them. I love what they do to my garden, pollinating everything. And of course, it's great to be able to share the honey. But um, how do I find time for all of the things? I kind of feel like I always wish I had more time for each individual thing. There's sort of like two different ways to live, right? You can have one focus and devote all of your energy and time to that one thing. And I wish I could do that. I wish I was the kind of person that could do that. But I have too many damn interests. And so I end up really dividing my time up. But it's the way that makes me feel like a happy and whole human is to have sort of different different things that I'm doing throughout my day. And as well as in music, like different styles of music and different genres of music that I'm playing. It's, I found it's really the only way that I feel totally myself. Yeah, I can actually relate to that. I thought I was the only one, but I'm glad I'm not. Um, that there's people that don't just focus on one thing. And I can see that there is um, an advantage to be able to focus on one thing because then you can go very deep. But at the same time, um, <clears throat> I think when you know many, many, many things, you realize that there's so much to the world and it becomes possibly difficult to choose uh, what's more important? Absolutely. And I think in the end, all of the things, no matter how different they seem, these different disciplines, they all communicate and they all feed back into each other. Because the more we know as a human, you know, the wider our understanding is, the more world we sort of take into our existence. And, you know, our music sounds that much better. Or we have that much more appreciation for nature or for performing or, or whatever. So they all communicate. Yes, and I know that you are also a yoga. Are you a yoga teacher or do you only practice yoga? I teach yoga too. Right, yeah. you teach I, yoga. Yeah, I did. I got my teacher training certification and went to yoga school like maybe 11 years ago, 11 or 12 years ago. And I taught for a while at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music because I really have this passion for helping musicians to be more in their body and take care of their body, make sure they don't get injured. You know, it's like... Often um, vocalists are really good at understanding that their body is their instrument. But then most people that like grab an instrument, play an, an instrument outside of their own body, forget that their body is so important that it's the tool to play that thing. So I've been really passionate about that. Then my career got too busy. I didn't have time to teach at yoga at some point. So I took a break from teaching it. But thank you to COVID-19, I've had time to teach yoga again. <laughs> and it's actually been one of the greatest blessings of this crazy time is getting back into that and, and sharing that with other artists. Yes, because I was going to tell you, I know that you've got uh, the Cosa Nostra, the Jazz Mafia, the uh, um, 
eclectic quartet, the Lumos, the Capellati, all of this, uh, did, did these projects uh, end or did they get put on hold? How did they get affected by COVID? Great question. It's a little bit different for each of the projects. Um, Cosa Nostra Strings has put out three albums since the pandemic. So we've stayed really busy um, and we rehearse in the backyard with masks on. At least it's getting a little bit colder now, so it's going to be interesting to see what we end up having to do over the winter. We might take a little bit of a break until it warms up again, um, but that project has been incredibly active. Jazz Mafia has been very active too. We we've um, we do weekly free live stream concerts from our backyard also, so everybody can be safe, and we've been producing a lot of videos and putting out recorded music. And then Eclecta has taken a little bit of a break. Um, that group is mostly focused on live performances. So since there aren't any, um, that group is on hold. But um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, Lumos has, we've still been playing. We've been doing a lot of uh, virtual live stream kind of shows because it's so visually stunning. So that group has been, um, we've been featured in a lot of, they like, I don't know, online sort of uh, events and parties and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we're trickling, we're kind of continuing on. It's just different, you know, the big old pivot. Everything has been pivoting, but um, we're grateful to still be able to play music together. Absolutely. To some extent. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, I mean, I want to go back and uh, a little bit more into uh, all of the things you are really covering a bit more deeply. But before I do, I want to ask you about the names because, you know, being Italian and everything, I noticed <laughs> that Cosa Nostra and Jazz Mafia have got this, uh, um, they're talking about, you know, Mafia. So uh, how did that name come about? Oh, I do want to be clear. We're not supporting the Mafia. Sometimes people misunderstand that. But um, Jazz Mafia is this collective of musicians that have been playing together for 20 years a lot of them and, um, you know, kind of people add into the mix throughout time. But this group of people were always sort of cruising around San Francisco together. And the story goes late one night, somebody was like, it's like you guys are the mafia of jazz. You know, everybody walking around with their hats and cases and stuff. That's kind of how it started. And then the name stuck. Um, and some of the bands that have come out of Jazz Mafia. So if Jazz Mafia is sort of this collective of, you know, 20, 30, 40 people that just end up working together a lot in different projects, some of the band names have sort of gone along with that theme and Cosa Nostra Strings was one of them. Um, I don't even remember who in our project came up with the idea of that name, but um, but it did. It's funny every time we get, we're getting played on the radio in Italy a little bit and we get these funny notes from people. So we just want to be clear though, that, you know, we're stupid Americans and we're just, <laughs> we're just, um, we're not in support of the mafia. We're just, it's just an ode to Italy and this part of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, not for a minute. I thought you were supporting the mafia. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> No, so going back instead to um, your interest for the body and music, I know that um, you are an aerial violinist. Now, for people that don't know anything about that, what is an aerial violinist? Well, um, I fly in the air in um, a couple of different apparatuses and play my violin while I'm up in the air. And so what that looks like is... You know, sometimes I have a harness that I that I have um, and I can 
be doing flips while I'm playing my violin. Um, and one of the other apparatuses that I use is a lira. So it's that circular hoop that you see aerialists in sometimes. And um, I'll sit on that and I'll play. And that all just came about because, as I sort of mentioned before, I've always been obsessed with the coming together of physical like dance or other kinds of music as well as sound and mu- and or sorry phys- dance and other kinds of movement forms and sound so music um when I was a little girl I was a dancer and a gymnast and was just always really physical um but the coming together of those two things is just my total fascination point like I kind of feel as a mu- musician that music is the whole world um but there's a missing element. And when music is paired with dance or aerial dance or some sort of physical representation that those two in union together, like complete the universe, that like that is just a full expression um, and a full art form. So so it's been a really interesting thing to me to explore that space and um, moving from dance to actually being able to move your body off of the floor with aerial arts was a a nice revelation. It felt almost as limitless as music is. Obviously, you're still working within the binds of physics, but you're using them to your advantage in a different way. So it can look like you're completely free of physics. Um, So yeah, I started studying and practicing aerial about eight years ago. And it was just something I took up just for fun, just for me. Actually, I came home early from a tour. Um, a tour ended early. So I had all this time on my hand. I just started going to the aerial studio and training and taking classes and stuff. And I had no intention of ever performing. In fact, I was trying to get out of performing so much and just do something for myself for fun. And then it sort of just spiraled. (laughs) One day I thought, I wonder if I could bring my violin up here. And um, I made a cardboard violin first because I thought I'd probably drop it a lot, which I did. But when I stopped dropping my cardboard violin, I got a $50 violin on eBay. And I, when I stopped banging that, I brought a nicer violin up in the air, you know, until I worked my way up. I don't bring my German violin up in the air, but I bring an electric violin in the air that's a little bit more forgiving. If it gets bumped or whatever, it's all, it's going to survive. Um, and then I started getting calls to do it because not that many people in the world do that. And it's pretty cool. Um, so that is one of the main things I miss with this pandemic because I haven't been able to perform aerial violin because you can't really do that virtually so well. It's definitely an in-person thing. So I will really look forward to getting back to that um, when we're out the other side of this. Wow, that's that's an amazing story. And you've answered a lot of the questions I was going to ask you anyway. Um, but I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how did this all come about because what I the sense I'm getting is that you started as a gymnast or did you start as a musician or did the two come together at the same time good question it was about the same time I think I started dance class when I was three or four and then when I was four I started asking my parents for a violin so I got a violin for my fifth birthday and it was just everything I'd always hoped and dreamed of (laughs) at my little five-year-old self. And I stuck with violin and I always had dance, which moved into gymnastics that I was doing on the side. But as you get more intense in any of these 
things as you, that you're doing as a kid, you know, it's like each one of them wants all of your time. So I remember when gymnastics, I got to the level where they needed me there five days a week. It was like I had to make this decision between violin and gymnastics just because I simply didn't have time for both. So I chose violin. And then when that same thing happened with dance or soccer or all the other things that I did, I would always choose violin. And I can't even tell you why. I don't even remember. I guess just in my mind, it was clear that I always wanted to keep music um, alive and, and keep studying that. But I would always, at different junctures throughout my life, return to those art forms in these different ways. And what I just described about returning to the or learning about aerial arts and getting into the aerial studio. It was that same thing. It's like, anytime I have a little time, I, I want to explore that because, you know, I'm, I'm not done with it. I'm still so interested in it all. Yes. And in this very varied path that you've chosen, what would you say has been um, the biggest challenge? I think what we sort of touched on before is finding time for everything. You know, like I said, I, I wish I just had one great love, but I have multiple. And so dividing my time and, and giving each of them the time that I think they deserve has really been a challenge for me. I always feel like I'm lacking in some area, like not doing the best I can because I'm trying to focus on too many things. So in the last couple of years, I've tried to really pare that down and really hone in and focus on the things that are most important, knowing that well, maybe there will be another season in my life or another time that I can kind of come back to some of the other things that are less important. But it's a constant challenge for me. It's a, this constant dance, trying to find balance. Where is that? Not very good at it. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. I mean, do you have a strategy that, that you use or is it something that comes to you, the answer comes to you um, intuitively? Do you do meditation? You know, how do you make these decisions in your life of what to focus on when? Hmm. Mostly it's just been circumstantial to tell you the truth. It's what do I, if I look at the calendar, what do I have coming up or what are my goals that I've set out and how does that timeline fit with what's going on? Oh, I've got a big aerial show in a month. Like I really need to focus on that or I'm putting out an album. So I'm going to be really focusing on that. And I'm not sure if that's the best way to go about it, but <laughs> that is the way that I've gone about it recently, probably the last five years. <laughs> and I know that uh, recently you put out a single as well, and it was related to COVID. It was, I think it's called, It's the End of the World as We Know It, right? Oh, yeah. That's a video. I ended up, um, well, being locked in my house for a long time and I thought I would learn how to use Final Cut Pro because I had time. So I did. I, I made a little, I just had the idea. Um, it felt like the end of the world, you know, but it also felt like, well, as long as we, as long as we are able to do the right thing, it's only going to be the end of the world as we know it. And we all emerge with this sort of new world in our hands. And so it was somewhat of a joke, but also kind of serious at the same time. You know, if I had to define you, obviously, I don't know you as you know yourself, but from the outside, it looks like, you know, you're an artist, really. And you you have different art forms that uh, you love exploring. Uh, dance is an art form and, you know, Final Cut Pro is, can be an art form and playing music is an art form and a lot, everything could be an art form in itself, of course, uh, but so would you say, would you ever define yourself as an artist? 
Only very recently, I've used the word artist very reluctantly. I feel like it's like artist with a capital A. It's such a huge thing um, and an honor, actually. So thank you very much for saying that. But recently, I have come to the same conclusion. Well, I guess I just must be an artist. <laughs> Whatever tools I have available to myself at the time is like how I'm going to express myself. And more and more, I feel like that is the case. So thank you. Why would, do you think it was difficult for you to say I'm an artist? Well, I started training classical violin at age five. And I was in the classical school all the way through conservatory. I graduated from the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. And I think that a lot of that culture is based around you're playing somebody else's music and you're playing it the right way. There's definitely a right and a wrong way to play um, classical music and all the different micro genres within um, classical. And I think that the word art or artist doesn't really come into play. Even the concept artist doesn't come into play as much in that world. And don't get me wrong. I love classical music. What an art form. It's definitely an art form. Um, but there's not the same amount of personal expression involved. There's a little bit. Um, and I always really liked that challenge. How do I follow all the rules, but find the spaces that I can put my own self into this music? Um, but it's just not part of the ether. Art Being an artist isn't as much part of the ether in that world. And so it took me sort of stepping back from that world and learning different art forms and spending a lot of time with myself and figuring out what my own personal story is and what it is that I want to express to start slowly coming around to the idea of being an artist myself. Right. And that creativity, where does it come from in you? You know, some people think creativity comes from the unconscious. Some people think, oh, it's the muse. We don't know where it comes from. It's the gods out there. What's your opinion around that? I think I'm still developing it. I think I'm always developing it. I, I tend to lean towards that creativity is everywhere and ideas are everywhere. And some people are really tapped into that and they just, they're like an open vessel or like a sponge for sensing all of that. And it just comes right through them. Other people need to set aside time to get quiet and allow ideas to come in, or maybe they create them inside of themselves. I think it's just, it's, it's a, it's like creativity is a molecule or something and ideas float inside of that molecule. And the more time that we spend asking for it or like getting the magnifying glass out and looking for that, the more we're in touch with that. That's sort of my sense. I change my philosophy on it from time to time, but mostly it revolves around that because it's been my, that's been my experience. Yeah, I like the, that idea of creativity being everywhere and that really the universe is creative because it is alive and uh, and that you only are really using the magnifying glass. I like that because it's saying, well, I'm just discovering something. I'm not really creating anything. I am just looking at what's already there and bringing it to light from the shadows, if you if you like. And in the um, project that you 
that came out just recently. I know there's a project um, where you're playing a lot of your own uh, tunes. Where the did the inspiration for those come from specifically? Are you talking about Hit Woman Honey, mm-hmm. that album? Yeah. That's a, um, they all came from different places. So the um, kind of overarching theme of that album is the bees. Um, I was spending a lot of time with the bees and just sort of really nerding out on their intelligence. Like there's so much to learn about them that the way that they function in their society and their own little collective consciousness and all that was it's very metaphysical it's like it's like there's the science part and then there's this other part about the way that they function that starts to get into you know that same world where music exists you know there's vibration and there's science involved but there's also something else that's a little bit more ethereal and a little bit hard to pinpoint so there's a lot of connection there for me so I wrote the honeybee suite um, inspired by my bees um, I wrote Dawn, which you'll hear later, maybe. Um, just inspired by a sunrise. Um, there's a tune called Refuge on that album that I wrote. Actually, I wrote it um, in collaboration with another aerialist who was doing a, a installation project on the side of a building and needed music for it. And she told me about what this piece was about. And um, I wrote Refuge for her. And and this is like, you know, kids are getting locked up in cages in the American borders and people are trying to seek asylum here and they're not being able to and they're being ripped up, families are being ripped apart. And it's just the most horrifying things are happening that most Americans are just like we were in, we're in shock and we're we're horrified by these, but the government is letting this stuff happen. So, um, refuge is about that and um, this idea that everybody should be able to have a safe home, a safe place. Families need to stay together and should be able to go wherever they need to go to be f- safe and should be embraced by the people there. Um, so, yeah. So it sounds like really what you're doing and what I think actually artists are here to do is to um, present to the general public what is happening through their own eyes. Because a lot of the time we may be distracted by our own personal challenges, what's going on in our personal chaotic life, especially at this time. But in general, we it's difficult sometimes to actually see what's in front of you. And I think the 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 one of the roles of the artist is to actually see the world almost uh, with the eyes of a child, the eyes uh, that haven't been um, conditioned by experience to prejudge everything. And so it's easier to actually see what's happening. And so the role of an artist is to just present it and, and say, here, this is this is what's what what I can see. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think what makes the role of the artist so important and so special is the way that we communicate about these things is through emotion. Right? Like you can read an article about what's happening at the border. Word, 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 word. You know, some journalists wrote it down. Also very important, but the way that an artist will synthesize an article that they read and and 
express it through emotion, music or a visual medium or whatever. And then it's received by the audience through emotion first and then information second. So I think that it has the opportunity to lodge itself a lot deeper in the human that's receiving it. And I think that that is what's so important and um, really special about what we do. Absolutely, I would agree with that. And and I'd say also this links up with performance because um, performance is part of the way in which we express that emotion. And before when you were talking about the many things you were doing, you said something about I was trying to get away from performance and do something just fun. So I was thinking, oh, okay. Um, So does that mean that at some point it became performing became a bit of a burden or it there was something negative that you started associating with it it wasn't necessarily negative but with such an intense performance schedule you just have to push aside however you feel and show up for your audience you know like if i was there was a point where i was performing pretty much every single night And it didn't matter how my day was or how I was doing or what I wanted to do that day. I had to kind of slap on my performance suit and and go and do it. And I would always receive something back. It's not like I would just do it for somebody else. It would give me energy as well. But it can be pretty draining because you're putting out so much energy. And with a schedule like that, I was starting to get to the point where like I needed more that was just kind of filling me up. Yeah, I actually really relate to that. I remember at one point, I think it was in 2014, I did a show that was running for a few days and I'm sure it's nothing like you do, but I found it super draining to be to have to show up every single night, no matter what. And at the time I was also going through a breakup, so it was super right. hard. Right. <laughs> exactly. Super That's hard. a good example. <laughs> yeah. Like someone in your family can die and it doesn't matter. You have to show up and do it anyway. Yeah, and I think sometimes the public doesn't really understand that. You know, they think, oh, oh, it must be so much fun to be on stage every night. I wish I could do that, and it's easy. And and it's not, because it's emotionally you need to really be present. Otherwise, the performance isn't going to be any good. So apart from from this, um, were, were there any other challenges that you've encountered um, in your journey as a performer so far? Injury. Here I am obsessed with, you know, bodies and making music and all this stuff. And I've had my fair share of injuries, probably because I am on the more physical side of what I do. But um, I have, (laughs) and also my lifestyle, if I just locked myself in a practice room all the time, I probably wouldn't have gotten injured so much. But I developed tendonitis in my wrist when I was in high school from probably from over-practicing. And um, so I learned how to, I had to take a break actually for a year um, while that was healing. And to be quite honest, I think that's why I ended up choosing music. Because when I couldn't have it for a year, I was just miserable. And I was like, I really need this in my life. This is what I want to do. So when I was able to come back to the instrument, um, I really devoted myself to it. And I've never had tendonitis ever since. It's been, I don't know how many years, almost 15 years since then. So I feel like I really healed that and I learned to play in a much more sustainable way after that. 
But I also broke my wrist snowboarding like eight years ago, left wrist also, which is what I hold my violin with. So um, that was scary as well. Um, made it back out of that. It's like all of these injuries, I, I, you know, they, they make me fall down, but I like brush myself off and I get back up again and maybe things never feel the same, but we move forward with them feeling a little bit different and that's fine. It's just kind of like the rest of life. Wow, that must have been very scary. I think it would have been terrifying for, you know, if I had injured myself that way. I mean, I did injure myself once on my wrist as well, uh, but it didn't last more than six months. So um, I That's a long time, though. Yeah. Six months is a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And you, scary. you think, you know, will I be able to play again? Totally. I remember sitting with my cast on my arm, like typing into my computer, researching other jobs that I could, you know, go back to school and start a new career. I was pretty sure I was going to have to do that. And I'm just, I thank my lucky stars that I was able to pull out of that with good physical therapy and stuff and get back to it. But I, it, it has definitely made me really not take any days for granted and, and what I do for granted, knowing that, you know, a simple, you know, knife slice to the finger or, you know, you could burn your finger on a pot or a pan or something like that, that those, those little tiny things could, really mess up your career or maybe even end it. So ugh, we have to be careful. <laughs> so you've been very resilient, but sometimes things get out of our control, like so, like now with COVID-19. And yet you, you've said you've been doing videos, you've been putting out albums. Um, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with your audience, because you were saying that you've been doing a lot of live streaming, uh, but before you were doing a lot of performances in person. Now, what have you found uh, in terms of the difference between in-person and online performance? What's your experience there? It's hard. I feel like I think that we've been doing this for so long with COVID-19 that I'm a little bit at computer fatigue. And I think a lot of people are as well. Um, you know, I remember calling my mom not too long ago, like crying to her that like, I didn't become a musician to stare at a computer and play for a computer screen. I really miss humans. And I really miss that exchange of energy. It's something that is so special and so unique. And it doesn't really exist in a lot of other fields that people, you know, make their their job. Like, obviously, there's always ideas exchanging, but what we're able to do with music and often without even words, you know, or having a language, a verbal language in common is that we can sh exchange ideas and we can exchange energy. And I miss that so, so much. Um, and I'm really glad that we have an opportunity to still play for people, that technology is at a point where we can a little bit feel that energy exchange as comments in the chat or, you know, you can feel that people are paying attention when you're playing online. And, you know, that's just that little bit we need, I feel like, to hang on. And thankfully, the audiences have still been showing up through their computer fatigue. You know, they're still showing up to support the arts. And I can't say thank you enough. You know, I, I think, you know, we will get through this. There's going to be a lot of musicians that aren't able to get through it and they'll get other careers or, or, or you know, kind of look at different things. But I know that me and my crew are going to get through this and I'm really glad. But I just cannot wait to play for people in person. Yeah, I can relate. There is a different kind of energy that 
you feel when someone is actually in front of you. And the screen can never give you that. Obviously, it's better than being in your room and never seeing anyone for months and months and months. Uh, but it's not a substitute for the real thing. And in terms of your um, just your career in general as an artist, what what do you would you say is the most fulfilling part about it? I think that's a tricky question because like I've already said, I love so many different things all the time and that's my curse. <laughs> but one of the things that I find very fulfilling about it is um, this community of musicians that I get to play with a lot that I orbit around um, called the Jazz Mafia. It's such a supportive group of, of people and it's pretty wonderful to show up and have an idea for a song and describe that to them, whether you bring in a chart or you just sort of sing things to people and then to be able to collaborate in real time and bring that to life is something that's really special. You know, coming from the classical world, you have to have everything 100% notated on paper with articulations and bowings and everything you want written on the paper and you just give it to somebody and they read the instructions and do what it says. But to be able to kind of come up with those ideas and try out different things with people, with with musicians that I admire and look up to that I think are really great, it just lifts up all of my ideas and makes them even better. You know, I feel like, in other words, it's a way to um, sort of uh, like grow my ideas in a way that I wouldn't be able to by myself in an echo chamber. And so that's really fulfilling for me. Absolutely. I can imagine that that is because when you're writing for even for an orchestra, you have to have everything in your mind already. And that's really difficult. <laughs> it's difficult to know what's going to work until you actually try it out. And it, Instead, in this way, you, you have the expertise, the inspiration of another person with a different mind, with a different body, with a different experience. And so what comes up, it's, it's a different uh, recipe. It's like cooking together. You come up with something better. So um, one more thing I wanted to ask you is about um, looking back. Looking back at your journey, uh, if you were to to talk to your younger self or maybe even give an advice to someone just starting out, what would you say to that person? I would tell them that you need to think outside of the box and you can do anything that you can imagine, but take the time to imagine what it is that you want or even brainstorm different ideas that no one's ever told you you know, that the conservatory or the jazz school or the, you know, whatever these different methodologies are that they don't encompass. They're great. Methodologies are wonderful foundations, and I think they're very important, and I teach them myself, and I'm still practicing them myself all the time, but that you don't need to stay that course, and you can go as far as your imagination will take you. So to think big, really. Yes, absolutely. And... um so now, before we play your song, Dawn, uh, would you like to tell us a, a bit about it? I mean, I know you've talked a little bit about it already, but is there anything else that um, you'd like us to know about it before you play it? Um, well, something kind of sweet is that my dad named the song. <laughs> I wrote this song, and it was inspired by Early Morning, and I don't even think I told him that. 
And I played it and I said, what do you think this sounds like? Or, or what do you think this should be called? And he said, Dawn. And I said, bingo. Let's, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so that's kind of a cool little, little side, <laughs> side note. Made me feel like I did my job well. You, mu- you guys must be psychic. Definitely are. My dad's a musician too. I really look up to him. So he, we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> right. Is that how you got into music in the first place? I think so. I have a hard time really remembering because I was so young, but my dad is a, uh, he then was in a bluegrass band that was pretty active and toured a lot. And music was just a part of our everyday in our house. My mom was a dancer. It's funny. No wonder I am who I am, right? But um, my mom's a great lover of music and a dancer. And so I just thought like, everybody's parents' band came over on Tuesday nights for rehearsal. Like, it was just so normal for us. Um, and then my best friend got a violin when when she, we were about four years old. And I think I just kind of became obsessed with that particular instrument because of her. And then music was just all around, and I, and I loved it. So I sort of just fell into it. Wow, I wish I'd been born in your family. <laughs> <laughs> we could have been sisters. That would have been great. <laughs> so we could have a band now. <laughs> absolutely. I'd have a band with you any day. And so do you want to dedicate your song to your dad or do you want to dedicate it to someone else? Yes. <laughs> no, let's dedicate it to my dad, Bob. All right. Let's take it away. Thank you so much for that. That was very dramatic. I loved it. If people want to uh, listen to more of your music, they'll just go to your website and I will uh, put a link to your website in the show notes. And is there anything else that is coming up for you that you'd like us to um, let our listeners know about? 
One thing just that would be cool to let your listeners know about is Jazz Mafia, which my husband and I run. So it's very, it's a big part of my work. Um, We have a lot of music coming out. In fact, right now we have like one album every week coming out um, through the end of the year. So Jazz Mafia on Spotify is a great place to go for a wide array of um, music from sort of experimental jazz to we specialize in this coming together, this place where like funk and soul and R&B and classical and jazz all live together. So there's a lot of great music there. I would just let everybody know about that. Okay, that's exciting. Let's uh, head on over to Spotify and check them out. So thank you so much for being with us today and sharing all of your experience and insight. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this episode of Dare to be Seen. Join the conversation on daretobeseencommunity.com and help us create an empowering community of independent female singer-songwriters, composers, and musicians who support one another. For show notes, resources, and information on today's episode, visit daretobeseenpodcast.com. And remember, shine your own unique light onto the world. It needs it.